Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross. Suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show for this Monday, June 15th, 2015 edition. Folks, I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on Worldwide Christian Radio, and the podcast is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. You just go on the right-hand side there, and there's a direct link Sign up for that and you can listen to the podcast, but you can also listen to any smart device, iOS or Android, simply by downloading the MixLR app. That's M-I-X-L-R and search Weekend Vigilante. Folks, we have an amazing show today. My guest today is a highly acclaimed researcher, theologian and astronomer, Gil Broussard. Gil spent four years using scientific reports and ancient astronomer documents and tied them to biblical timelines, and he joins us for a riveting discussion. What we are talking about today goes by many different names. The Sumerians saw it, the Russians photographed it, NASA knew about it too, and now they say it's about to re-enter our solar system and wreak havoc all over again. They say it's a runaway wrecking ball that triggers earthquakes, rips open volcanoes, and unleashes massive tsunamis. They say it can kick the Earth's axis over, pushing Africa to the pole and Antarctica to the equator. Some say it may even stop our planet from rotating. Some call it Nibiru, Marduk, Zeus, Baal. Others named it the Ottawa Project or Transpluto, but most people just call it Planet X. Today, we are talking about Planet X, or as my guest calls it, Planet 7X. Gil Broussard, welcome to the program, sir. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you, Sheila. It's a pleasure. Gil, you were able to plug in data points to NASA-type astronomy software using Kepler's Law of Planetary Motion. Your data shows an object around seven times the size of the Earth on an elliptical orbit. You've been able to link really biblical accounts and other historical records to the passing of an object through our solar system. And evidence suggests that in most cases, that passage of this object through our solar system has less than catastrophic impact 
impacts relative to Noah's flood incident. And with geological data and records showing increased earthquakes, volcanic activity, methane releases, and things where birds, fish, and insects being notably affected, you link how Planet 7X matches Bible prophecy. So we're going to get into all that. Now, Gil, with listeners that are not really familiar with this, what exactly is Planet X, or as you call, Planet 7X? Well, according to my research, uh, my research doesn't follow the present data that's commonly stated as far as uh, Planet X. And so uh, there are some similar things, but that's the reason why I named it so we're Whenever you have a discussion with someone, it, it actually misrefers to the data that that person gathered. And um, the orbit, according to what we found right here, it's closer to, it has a, let me see, erratic orbit. But if we had to put a, a time period, it's closer to 360 than 3,600 years. So it's um, considerably shorter on its orbital path. And the last documented sighting that the Chinese placed in their records was in 1054 A.D. That's only about, about 960 years ago. And it was a sizable object then. It's, I would think it's still a sizable object today if it was to pass. And they observed it for 26 months. This is coming from a scientific white paper report. Uh, anyone can download the PDF from the publisher. It's called a re-evaluation of the East and Western records of the supernova of 1054. This is produced by the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies in Ireland. This is not the only study that came to the same conclusion, that the supernova was seen a few months earlier and that data was mislabeled as the supernova when the white paper report shows that it moved through multiple constellations for 26 months. Uh, supernova is stationary. It doesn't move. And with the comments that they gave and the location uh, uh, between the Chinese, the Japanese, and the Korean astronomers, I was able to plot a segment of its course, and that gave us an overall elliptical orbit that's on Earth's planetary plane. It crosses Earth's path twice with a separation of 150 to 152 days between entry and exit through Earth's orbital path. And any time an object is on Earth's orbital path and it's bigger, bigger than us, that gives some serious concerns to any astronomer that plots something like this. And um, that's what science is. If you can take, let observe phenomena, bring it into the laboratory and show that it's misrepeatable following Kepler's laws of planetary motion, you know, models and such, that's science. And the data can come from clay tablets or Chinese uh, writings or biblical writings. You can't fake Kepler's laws of planetary motion. As it's nearing the sun, it's picking up speed, passing through the constellations, and there's a, uh, what, a line in the sky that we call the ecliptic that this object follows. Gil, you were a hardened skeptic on this, 
Planet X, but then of course you, as you mentioned, you stumbled across that study from the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies, and of course you mentioned the Chinese, Japanese, and Korean astronomers saw something very strange in 1054 AD, and as you mentioned, the Chinese astronomers really were the only culture to document this planet. Explain to the listeners how you were able to take a culmination of the data and correlate that with the biblical narrative. Well, it was the Chinese, the Korean, and the Japanese. There was three countries that uh, plotted this orbit, and they each gave very accurate records, which is unlike the Europeans at the time. They would just give a, uh, they saw it on a search, such and such day, maybe in the morning or evening, they would state. Sometime they would name a constellation. So it was much harder to plot any data from Europe, but with the Chinese, they gave us much more information to where we could better place the object in the sky and see how the model matches it or not. And there are four scientific studies, not just one. There's two pertaining to the records of the, of the supernova. There's two additional records that talk about comets that are warped in a certain region of space. Uh, I'm talking about dozens of comets that are being warped by unknown gravity. Those comets are in our solar system or on the edge of our solar system. Uh, you can't have comets being warped without a large body. And this happens to be the same area of space where NASA sent three out of the four Pioneer and Voyager probes looking for Planet X, as they stated. We have a overlay that takes place in the biblical records of at least 10 incidences that we can apply this same model and it explains the events. There's nothing violating the model that's stated in the sequence of events that's given in, in the biblical records. And they did not have this planetary science. They could not affect it in the order and in what they viewed. And when we put all this data together and look at it, there's 88 constellations. All this data is pointed to one constellation. That constellation is Sagittarius, and not just anywhere on Sagittarius, but on the ecliptic of Sagittarius. That's a little thin line going across Sagittarius. The odds of that are pretty extreme. Four scientific papers, one actual space mission with multiple probes, three of them went in that direction. And then we have 10 biblical scenarios and about five or six uh, secular scenarios that the models are working out in. That's a really good segue because one of the fascinating few, and, and let's go over these 10 scenarios because one of the most fascinating things I see in Isaiah 37, 36 is the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and four score and five thousand, so 185,000. And when they arose in the morning, it said, behold, there were dead corpses. And it talks about a storm of hail there. Get into that first of all. Yes, the uh, incident that you were referring to happened in 687 uh, B.C. This was at the same time as Jonah of Nineveh when he gave his 40-day 40, 40 warning, at the same time as Hezekiah when the shadow went backwards. This incident that you're talking about happened in the evening, and yes, it's a fiery hail that came down and killed 185,000 soldiers. And uh, this is a meteor storm with 
you know, with smaller meteors that killed the, all of these soldiers, which are just out of uh, Jerusalem, ready to misinvade. And the messenger in this particular scenario, the messenger in this one was the planet, delivering basically a sentence to the soldiers. Because anything that moves in the sky was mystical to them. They had uh, what they called illuminated bodies. Uh, they didn't have a word for planet even. Right. Uh, they would say like a wandering star. So they saw something moving basically. That's why you know, it would be a messenger delivering either drought, floods, death to the enemy, different things like that. It fits the scenario. Right. It really does seem to fit the scenario. Let's get into the biblical account of Joshua's long day, which even NASA seems to confirm. It talks about the sun standing still. Joshua said there were more which died with hailstones that day than children of Israel slew with the sword. Could Planet X be a modern day perspective of what Joshua saw and what we will see? Without a doubt. There's no way that they could have faked the scenario and the sequence when you get into the details. Uh, I can tell you how this occurred. Planet X was uh, going to pass about an hour or two in front of Earth's path. Just um, uh, hours, within 24 hours prior, prior to that, Earth is entering into the plasma tail. There's a uh, controversy between astronomy and the physicists. The astronomy says that the tail of a comet is ice particles. The physicists say the tail of a comet is plasma. And it appears that the plasma, uh, these uh, physicists are absolutely correct. There are certain uh, tests that have been done and actual observance in a universe that tends to prove this out. So if it's plasma and Earth is entering into the tail, because the tail points opposite of the sun. So if this object is between us and Earth, uh, us and the sun, that means the tail is pointing at us. And we're entering into the uh, plasma field, and we're, Earth is losing its energy in its north and south pole that causes us to rotate. We, we're losing it 45 to 5.5% compound hourly. And Earth will come to a complete stop after 24 hours without mile-high tidal waves. It's like taking a dimmer switch and lessening the power. And then that caused the 12-hour additional daylight that he had for that battle. Then he said, then there's outside Texas as three hours later was a meteor shower that killed more of the enemy than he did with a sword. Well, that's exactly what the model would calculate. If this object passed halfway between the moon and Earth, there's 30 diameters between us and the moon. This object is seven, passed halfway. That would give you exactly two to three hours. The meteor shower is roughly one hour long. And the moon was in a position to protect Joshua's men. Therefore, Joshua and his men could view the destruction coming in without being hurt. And that's one of the reasons why you have four times more craters on the opposite side of the moon. The moon has shielded Earth a few, uh, few times. It's smaller than Earth, about only a quarter of the size, but it can shield part, part of Earth's uh, destruction. 
one of the things you just mentioned that I find really fascinating is as you were talking, I was thinking about the Gulf of Mexico being the largest crater. So if you have an elevated area in a flat plain, it really suggests an impact of a very large hit. When you think about the scripture with the sun and the moon being eclipsed for three hours, the moon did not cause the eclipse. It was on the opposite side of the earth. Tie in the significance of all of this and how also this correlates with Noah and the flood time period. Well, during uh, Noah's, Noah's flood, um, yes, uh, the Gulf of Mexico is the largest impact crater uh, known. Uh, scientists have a little problem with it, of uh, accepting it, because they visualize the model as a dry earth scenario like, like it is today. And that an impact that large, there's two levels of heat, one from the blast and a secondary heat wave, which is caused by a frequency that it emits in such a large blast that violently um, vibrates carbon molecules to where they spontaneously combust. So all plant life, animal life, human life would disappear on Earth. It would have a ring of fire that would go all the way around Earth and dissipate life on it, on, on this planet. But under a scenario of a flooded earth, that heat is canceled out. See, there's outside text that says seven floodgates in heaven opened up. Seven meteors hit the earth when this canopy of water was above us, causing the floodgates of heaven to, that's more than a normal rain. And it took 40 days for it to empty out. Then the earth stayed flooded 150 days. At the end of the 50 days, you can read where there's a great wind that came over the earth and then Noah noticed that the water was receding. That wind was the uh, pressure wave from the impact of this Gulf of Mexico. It hit at the time the earth was flooded, knocking off 71% of our top crust. Remember, crust is only sitting there because of gravity holding it. It's not glued on, uh, basically. That's why our, our continents are able to drift apart. 71% was uh, on the opposite side was, was, was lifted off. That 71% is the same volume as our moon. That debris coalesced into a moon between three to 400 years later. And that's why the water was able to recede. Our oceans is the same volume as the moon. And that, that solves the issue. You see, there is no magnetic field on the moon. There's only gravity. But yet the material on the moon is slightly magnetic. And in the samples they had, it had partly iron ore that's rusty. That's not possible without water and oxygen. Well, you need two factors to make rust. You need an atmosphere with oxygen and nitrogen. And you need water, which both of those objects uh, is absent from the moon. The moon has never had an atmosphere. For even the Mr. debris to be slightly magnetic is if at one time that crust was part of Earth's crust. And that's why we can see water Mr. erosions in certain part of the moon. This answers a lot of these anomalies. You mentioned the Earth's crust. Now, about 150 days after Noah's flood, there was a massive event that knocked off the Earth's crust. What do you think happened there? Yeah, well, that's, that's when the second meteor shower. See, Earth is crossing two debris fields 150 days apart during Noah's flood. The first debris field 
collapse the canopy of water. The earth is flooded 150 days, and then we, earth crosses the second Mr. debris field, where a large, fiery, mountain-sized object hits the earth, making the Gulf of Mexico, knocking off 71% of our crust. And in turn, uh, the water was able to recede, as it states in the text. There was a great wind that, that came over the earth. That was the pressure wave from the blast. And then water misreceded to this void, which is what we would call the ocean today. And if you put the volume of, of the moon into oceans, you have a flooded earth today, except for the Himalayans. The Himalayans were lifted up in seconds because of this. If you would have pushed down the Himalayans back where it were in the time of Noah, you'd have a flooded earth again. So the scripture about Joseph's dream, you think he's talking about this object. Explain that for the listeners. Joseph had a dream at um, age 16 that he said the sun, moon, and stars bowed to him. Well, first off, you need a little bit of astronomy knowledge that it can't be the sun because you can't see the stars at the same time. So the translations is slightly an error there. It would probably meant, and this is common in, in the Hebrew, that it had been illuminated body. Well, that luminous body would have been this planet. That's what he saw. The moon, the planet, and the stars bowing to him. Okay, that was his dream. That's the first time the word moon is mentioned in the Hebrew. Prior to that is a misinterpretation in English. Okay, this is the first time that's mentioned. Now, when he's 40 in Egypt and he's already uh, gathered the food for a seven-year drought, midway of the seven-year drought is when this object passes. You have three-and-a-half-year drought coming in, three-and-a-half-year drought as it's leaving. Midway of that is it's when it passed near Earth and Earth tilted at that time, causing his dream to come true that the stars, the moon, and this planet, the earth, the, the, it bowed to him. And how do we know this? There is a German artifact, which is the oldest arrangement of stars ever documented. It's on a bronze disc with gold leaf representing all of the stars and the moon and, and sun. And when we interpret it, it tells us that there was an unusual eclipse that was not caused by the moon. And at the latitude of Germany, in that month framed in that uh, constellation they show, they're not able to see the constellation Orion, but yet it's listed there as being seen. Only way that is possible is Earth tilted 26 to 28 degrees from uh, equal to Luxor, Egypt, the latitude. Then you could see the, that constellation. And that's what the disc is showing us, that there was a three-hour eclipse as well as a tilting of the earth and dating it because of the arrangement dates exactly to the year and month of the time of Joseph of Egypt. Very interesting. Well, in Isaiah, it talks about that scripture, therefore will I agitate the heaven and earth shall be shaken out of its place. Isaiah 13.10 says something very interesting. It says, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. What do you think those two things are referring to, Gil? 
it sounds like that when we get into the plasma field or when this planet is between us and the sun, we're in that plasma tail. In the Bible, it's mentioned more than once a double eclipse is taking place. The sun and the moon are in an eclipse phase. You can't have those simultaneously. The moon will cause the sun to be eclipsed and the earth will cause the moon to be. But you can't. The moon has to be on the opposite side of earth for one or the other to happen. You cannot have those happen at the same time. It's uh, geometrically impossible. The math does not work. The science doesn't, doesn't work. In other words, I can point to, remember the three-hour uh, eclipse of uh, Yeshua's sacrifice? Right. This was done on Passover, on a full moon. The moon's on the wrong side of the earth to have a solar eclipse. It takes a new moon phase to make a solar eclipse. And a solar eclipse can only generate 7.3 minutes of uh, darkness. Only where that shadow passes over a few countries. It's not the entire earth like it states. But yet there's outside text also that states the whole earth was darkened. And it was darkened for three hours. This is automatically stating that there's a third object. Much larger than the scenario of a moon that could give us three hours of darkness and darken the entire earth. This model given to us by the Chinese and, and uh, created from this data proves that out, that this object is somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half times the diameter of earth. Just like in Joshua's long day, outside text states that him and his men saw an object 50 times larger than the moon. Well, if you put an object 50% of the distance between moon and earth, uh, exactly seven times the diameter of earth, well, the viewpoint of earth, it would give you a view of 50 to 1, as these ancient texts are stating. Well, you know, we're getting more earthquakes in one day now than we would traditionally get in one year. Something's changing. And it reminds me of the scripture that Matthew 24, 8 says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pangs, obviously getting closer and closer together. The scripture talks over and over about there will be great earthquakes, volcanoes all over the earth will erupt. Tsunamis will sweep over the whole continents. Some land areas will sink beneath the oceans and some land presently beneath the seas will be raised above the waters. You know, there's these weird instant climate changes. There's strange and terrible storms that will ravage the earth. The Bible tells us, look at Haggai's warning to Jerusalem. When you really step back and take a macro view of all the culmination of this, it really does fit the biblical narrative, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, if we just go back in to 1973 and 74, earthquakes they had for a whole year was, uh, in 73, they had 4,539. In 74, they had 4,528. Only a difference of roughly 10 or so. Okay? Today, we have over 36,000 earthquakes in a year. That's an 800% increase. 800%. And it's still climbing. Now, as the Bible says, you will see earthquakes like the pains of a woman giving birth. It will escalate. Well, that's a very interesting comment because that matches if we had a, a, an approaching body coming into our universe. This is exactly what we would expect, an escalation of uh, earthquakes 
volcano, earth, uh, uh, animal deaths, uh, weather changes, you name it. All of these things are exactly what we would expect. It, according to Kepler's laws of planetary motion, according to the model, when it reached the edge of our solar system of Neptune, it takes roughly 16 years to reach the sun, to reach us over here. And then in 1992, according to where the Pioneer and Voyager probes were, when we reversed the model, it said it was roughly eight years outside of our solar system. So in the year 2000, it would have reached the edge of us and took 16 years to reach us over here, which is roughly 2016, possibly 2017, as a possible arrival date before we would cross a debris field. And this is what the, the estimates are showing us. We, we still have to have a visual sighting of it. And please don't send me any emails, folks. I've seen as many as I want to. <laughs> Those sightings are not valid. They are not real. They're either glitches, missing mirages in the sky, which is called sun dogs, or it's reflection of glass, or it's a sensor of a camera uh, bouncing off the glass, or it's a shiny piece of metal reflecting from inside the camera giving you a glitch, or it's Photoshop fakes. But there's nothing valid at the moment as a sighting. And um, it won't come till probably the last quarter of this year. And uh, I think that's whenever you start seeing a Middle East war, about a month after that, start looking up towards Sagittarius. Because for them to maintain the um, markets, they have to silence two to three million amateur astronomers. And the only way to do that is to silence the Internet to simulate a shutdown. Well, that's a really good segue because there was a top secret meeting of world leaders in 90, 1983. And at that meeting, there were Illuminists and a mishmash of the who's who of the globalists and top leaders, top military brass and the CEOs of the world's leading corporations and banks. And of course, selected heads of the world's news media. And they were all informed of what is going to occur when planet 7X comes flying through the solar system, the general consensus, Gil, at that meeting was that in order to avoid a worldwide panic, possibly resulting in the collapse of the world economy and the infrastructure of the nations, they really agreed that the public should not be told about the potential destruction and the death that would be likely to occur because of this. And it was agreed mutually at that meeting in 83 that a blanket of secrecy should be imposed upon all who were privy to that information. Basically, they said no further news releases should be made about Planet X being discovered. Those attending were basically silenced. And the governments of the world have lied and lied continually to the public about the existence and the coming of Planet X. And they're still lying about it. This is very stunning that it's crickets chirping about this. And yet, look at the potential. Yes, the number one... um job of government, if you want to call it that, would be to preserve markets. Because without markets producing tax revenue, the government can't function or help, help the people or build underground facilities. They have to have the tax revenue. So they have to preserve the markets first. And if this news was to get out in a serious way to where people would hear someone credible, well, that would mean people would pull out their 401k plan, other people would 
go to banks and borrow money to get in debt because they don't have to worry about paying it back, you'd have financial chaos. So they're not able to. They can't, they can't say because there's too many people that would do extreme measures. I personally believe that the government won't tell the public. Uh, there's a, remember Jonah in the Bible where he went to Nineveh and he gave them a 40-day warning? Yes. What's interesting is what's not being said there. Jonah did not commit one miracle, but yet an entire th- a town of 20 or 30,000 people believed him and, and went into misrepentance mode, even the king. Why? Try that today. Go to a town and say, repent. In 40 days, your doom, your doom comes and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and see what you get. Well, the reason why is because they were in tune with nature. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have uh, CNN or Fox News. Okay, so they paid attention to the environment around them. They saw earthquakes or felt earthquakes. They saw probably volcanoes or heard of them going off, which was very unusual. They, They saw the seasonal change. They saw a bird and fish kill. They saw their crops dying of uh, drought and severe. And they want to know what was going on that was changing everything. Jonah just had to come up. at The model shows us that 40 days, it just rounded the sun. And you can clearly see it from Earth now. Now it's heading towards Earth. I believe that that story is letting us know that that's when the governments of the world are going to tell the public. You're going to have about 40-day notice. After that, they can't, they can't hide it, for sure. That's when it's going to be official. Well, and it's so interesting, Gil, that now at the box office, of course, the movie doing the best is San Andreas. And in the United States, there are really four great problem areas just waiting for the right catalyst to set them off. They talk about the San Andreas fault line in California, the Yellowstone Super Caldera in Wyoming there, the Madrid fault line along the Mississippi River, and the man-made time bomb, they say, ticking in the Gulf of Mexico. Weigh in on these things. Yes, um, America has, if you want to call it, uh, a stack of dominoes ready to fall. Uh, We have the Las Palmas Island, that half of the island, if it's shaken too badly, Half of it was split off and formed nine tidal waves that will come across the East Coast. The first tidal wave, according to computer models, is 90 foot tall, followed by progressively small ones, uh, you know, uh, uh, smaller ones after that. But you're looking at nine tidal waves hitting the East Coast. There's 21 nuclear facilities along the East Coast. That, that may lose cooling power, just like Japan. We have Yellowstone, but not just Yellowstone. Yellowstone is a super volcano. America has three of them, three super volcanoes, as well as 13 other medium-sized all along the West Coast. And well, there's quite a few of them are showing signs of uh, waking up, especially Yellowstone. If we have an impact like what's mentioned in Revelation Seal 7, Seal 6 is the first meteor shower, the first, the first debris field that we go through, which is in March. 152 days later is the second debris field, which is Seal 7. This is when a fiery mountain, which is Wormwood, hits 
one of our oceans. This is the Pacific Ocean. The rim of fire would be pushed inward. It's, so, it, it's hit so hard. Lava will flow all along the, the fiery rim. It will push in lava. Uh, and, and that will probably cause Yellowstone to go off in a very big way. And uh, it says we're, Earth is hit so hard that every wall on Earth is, is cracked. Every island and mountain is moved. That means the continents are moving. Earth will wobble like a drunkard or like a hut in the wind. And our calendar year will be shortened because we're pushed inward. And the meteor showers in March come from the daylight side. The meteor showers in the end of August will be from the nighttime side. So that big hit will push us inward slightly, changing our calendar year to Enoch's calendar. The 364 days a year, I believe it is. Uh, has this ever happened before? Yes, it has. But in a different way. This happened during uh, Hezekiah when the shadow went backwards. 10 degrees. It is documented globally in mo multiple cultures that the calendar prior to that time period was 360-day year. We had 30-day months. After that time period was 365 and a quarter day year. This is when the lunar calendar was put into effect by the, uh, by, by the Hebrews. So we've had some interesting uh, events that this model, this, this same model proves out uh, there's nothing violating science that's written in the Bible. They have eyewitness accounts, and that's what science is. If you can take observed phenomena show that it's repeatable in a laboratory, that's science. When people say there's no science in the Bible, I'm sorry, they're wrong. <laughs> they haven't looked properly. See, we could not have done these models 15 years ago because not just recently has the physicists gained ground with their theories that the space is not a true vacuum that is filled with plasma, that there's no missing matter, like the uh, astronomers are saying, that dark matter and a uh, 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 dark energy and uh, dark matter does not really exist. It, it, that was created to try to explain where the missing matter is. But the physicists say it's clear. It's in plasma form. That's the solar winds. That's the fourth state of matter. And it's not missing. It's, it's in the vacuum of space. And therefore, the tail of a comet is also extreme, extreme plasma, like a, like a rock in a stream where the stream will go around it in a concentrated way. That's what causes a tail. And if we would use the astronomy model, these models would not work. But using the physicist model and Kepler's law of the planetary motion, it does work. It mirrors it exactly. Well, speaking of mirroring, do you find it fascinating, Gail, because you touched on Revelation seals 6 and 7, and if you look at the timeline, I think we look at about 150 days between. Do you find it interesting that it was 150 days after Noah's flood there was a massive event too? Yes, it says this would be like the time of Noah. And we, we didn't know to what extent he meant that, that that comment meant that. But it's just like in Noah's time, we can say that a fiery mountain hit the earth on the second event five months later. That's what caused the Gulf of Mexico. 
that that created the moon and, and allowed the water to recede. That's what's mentioned in Revelation. It says after CO6 that they'll wish death for five months, but death won't come until the fifth month. In modern time, that would be 152 and one-eighth day. Because remember, the calendar during Noah's time was 360 years. Earth's orbit around the sun was slightly tighter. So it was 360 day year. After Hezekiah, we went outward slightly to 365 and a quarter day. So today that would relate to 152 and one-eighth day, which is the five months. He's, he's stating that's, that's within the five-month period stated there. So, yes, it relates. It really does relate. And notice also in prophecy, the Lord explicitly states he is bringing the day of the Lord as a destruction from the Almighty. And if you look, and I think this is where people have to wrap their head around this. It talks about stars, the constellations, the sun, the moon, the earth. It seems like it's referring to moving the earth out of its present orbit. It's almost without a shadow of a doubt that the prophecy is describing the coming of planet X and other heavenly bodies into the solar system, doesn't it? Without a doubt, it's called the fiery dragon of old. Okay, and it's, it is probably, when you're talking about an inanimate object, it's the most talked about object in, in the Bible. The most talked about object. And we're just coming to this conclusion that it's, that it's there and that it's, that it's real. Because you can go look through the Bible and find seven-year droughts multiple times. Matter of fact, just before the exodus of Egypt, we know that there was a planet where the asteroid belt is because you can, it's, the spacing of the planets are not random. It's a Fibonacci sequence using the series of three. And it says right where the asteroid belt, which is where there's a, a remnant of a planet called Ceres, that is a destroyed planet that formed that asteroid belt right there. This uh, planet 7X plowed into Ceres. At that time, because it slowed, it, that forward speed was dropped to 120th of its normal forward speed. One of the moons of Planet X lost, uh, w was able to break free from its gravity-held position prior to the exodus. And that later formed what we call Venus today. There is no document of, uh, that states Venus existed prior to the exodus. Now, as it goes around the sun, it's going many times slower it caused a three day of darkness. And from that, and you can, if you relate to the other um, comments that it says, the uh, river turning red and, and a bunch of other things that it says can be caused by this object. And what's interesting, now it had to pass four other times around the sun to gain back its normal speed. So it, it's going 120th this normal speed outward. So it only is able to go out far enough to where it comes back 52 years later. That is Joshua's long day. So it goes around the sun and picks up a little bit more speed. It comes back 131 years later, which is Job's trouble and the drought of uh, Ruth. It was a 10-year drought because it was coming slower. So it went around the sun, picked up a little bit more speed. 290 years later, that was David and King Saul. At the end of King Saul's reign, he had three and a half year drought. 
at the beginning of David's reign, add another three and a half years, total of seven. The next time it passed around, it, it brought its speed up to 358 years. That's when the time of Hezekiah, Jonah of Nineveh, and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers dying. That happened all at the same time right there. And that's where it reached its normal orbit, approximate orbit again. But it took four times around the sun before it regained its uh, full speed again. You know, it's so interesting that the Apostle Peter used the exact same word in his epistle in 2 Peter 3.10 as the Lord used in Matthew 24.35. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away. Now, if you do a study on that Koine Greek sentence, it literally could be interpreted, Gil, as pass by, fly past. It goes on to say, with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, can our listeners even imagine the tremendous heat, fire, and smoke that would be generated all over the earth when this happens? Add to this situation the red-hot flaming rocks and the asteroids that would fall on the earth during the passing of planet X. If you compare Revelation 6, 12 through 17 and compare it with the account of Israel's coming out of the land of Egypt some 3,400 years ago, it really kind of culminates to suggest something, doesn't it? Exactly. Uh, remember that meteor that uh, exploded over Russia in year 2013? Yes. Well, that gives us a very good example. Now, that exploded above the towns high enough where they only had the uh, pressure wave hit them and the sound. But they didn't have the effects of searing heat because it exploded too high up. Now, to give you, for instance, that item was roughly uh, estimated at 14,000 tons. That's about equal to the Eiffel Tower in, in weight. It exploded at, at a force of 500 kilotons. That's roughly 20 to 30 times the size of the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. If this meteor would have exploded closer to those towns, you'd have had people vaporized. Now, if it would have collided into the ground, you'd have a mushroom cloud like a nuclear explosion with the elements melting and uh, the clouds rolling away like a scroll. Exactly what's described in the biblical sense. You don't need a nuclear, uh, nuclear bomb to give the same results. A natural disaster like a meteor can give you exactly the same. Matter of fact, greater, greater results. You can take all of the nuclear bombs in the world, put them all together, explode them. You can't, uh, you may shake the earth a little bit, but you won't cause the earth to wobble like a drunkard and change this year by a day. As you were talking, you're reminding me of uh, the patriarch Job. He said, Hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, the hail, folks, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? That's, I think it's Job 38, 22 through 23. You know, think about Psalm 148, 7 to 8. These verses really are saying that the Lord's creation fulfills his word. So, you know, if we go by Bible prophecy, 
every single prophecy in the Bible, Gil, has come to pass, and the ones that haven't, I mean, it's got a pretty good track record, doesn't it? Exactly. Uh, a lot greater than what people give it uh, credit for. For instance, like Joshua's long day. Joshua's army was outnumbered 10 to 1. He only had 30,000 men. The enemy he was against, 300,000. And they're, they don't have modern equipment. They're swinging swords. This is basically hand-to-hand -hand combat. And the meteors are coming in, only killing the enemy. He would tell Joshua that he would take care of the enemy for him. And this is after a forced, a forced march throughout the night, entering the enemy camp, and start fighting without rest. And fight not just a 12-hour day, but extended day of 24 hours. Where was the enemy? God gave him some miraculous energy to be able to do that. And took care of most of the enemy. Amazing. Well, Gil, in the waning moments, what is the most important thing, do you think, for the listeners to take away from this program? Study the Hebrew customs, their calendar, their mikras. The word mikra does not mean feast. It means rehearsal patterns. When you put the rehearsal patterns with the timing of his calendar and the events of what he's saying, you know to some degree when these things will happen. Like, we're in a smita. You're supposed to have one year of food. The rich uh, who own land have stocked up on the end of the sixth year. On the seventh year, the first half of that year, uh, a Hebrew year starts around March, the first half of that year, the poor are stocking up their food supplies. For seal three and four to happen, which seal three is economic collapse, Seal 4 is pandemic disease, famine, and war. For his people not to be hurt, you're following this pattern. It means you stocked up one year of food. Because that's probably when it's going to happen. It's during the smita, towards the latter half or latter quarter. You will see probably economic collapse and famine. He's telling you ahead of time, if you're following his rehearsal patterns, this will be a minor thing for you, not like, a major thing for most people who don't follow his, his patterns. You have to be Monsieur, obedient. You don't have a, an excuse saying, going up there, how come you didn't take care of me? He'll say, how come you didn't listen to me? I left you instructions. That's good advice because a lot of people do email me, Gil, and they say, you know, Sheila, I can't afford to go out and buy all this food and water and preparations, but people can at least do what they can. And I think as they share and bless others, the Lord works supernaturally there, doesn't he? Yes, I believe uh, that there is going to be a, a small blessing, possibly even in the dinar. Because if you read the rest of Scripture, it says, the Middle East is going to be an economic powerhouse for the Antichrist. They can't do that with a depressed dinar. And it's a wealthy country with oil and gold mainly. But it has many other resources, but those two alone. Before the war, it was, took three American dollars to buy one Iraqi dinar. Now it's 1,100 to 1,200 dinars opposite. It takes 1,100 to 1,200 dinar to make $1. If they release that, to go back to its normal market, if you add into the effects the debt that Bush Jr. and Obama has increased by X amount of trillions of dollars, it would no longer be three to one. 
it would be closer to six to one or higher, maybe 12 to one. I would expect us to see at least six within a short period of time. That would be roughly a 7,000 to one blessing. For every $1 that you were to invest in a dinar, you get about $7,000 back when it's released back into a, a normal market. And Iraqi this last year has done a lot to generate that. They've audited their currency. They've audited their natural resources. They applied to the um, international banking system to allow them to go on the market. Uh, six, they are one of the six countries that's pulling away from the dollar. China, Russia, uh, Venezuela, South Africa, India, and Iraq. And Iraq's the only one that is depressed artificially. So before they can pull out, it has to come up to a normal market eventually. There's 192 international banks that accepted the Basel III agreement for this to go forth around in a September or early October, there will be brick banks set up where these six countries will have no longer a, a U.S. dollar-backed currency. It's going to be backed by their natural resources. That's equal to saying it's backed by gold. Gold. Whether it's yeah. oil or anything, that's, a, that's as good as it gets. And you'll see shortly after they do that, within a month or two, you see the euro and the American dollar collapse shortly after. Yes, gold is certainly something we want to be investing in. I just saw an article Pravda published that said that China has accumulated 30,000 tons of gold. And if that's true, it means that China will be capable of bringing the U.S. dollar down in an instant. So it's very important that people start thinking of stocking up on gold, stocking up on food supply, water, it is important to pay attention to what's going on. It is. Um, you see, China doesn't have the oil its reserves. You don't need an infrastructure. You just need, uh, need only a small infrastructure to get the oil to be produced like Iraq. China can't really support its own people. It's missing a large percentage of the industry to be able to do that. Their own local population doesn't have the dollars to buy into a modern modern society. It's only in some of their larger cities. So they're lacking the capital. In other words, like if they lose European market as well as uh, US market, there's gonna be a lot of unemployed people in China. Yeah, I agree. Well, so, Gil, give out your website for the listeners. It's planet7x.com, but really to get the best information, you go to YouTube on my YouTube channel and it's planet 7x just the, the the numeral seven and you can see all of the data that i've able to publish this uh the models and such there's some data that i can't put out there because these uh scientific papers are published and then copyrighted i do give the names of the articles to where you can pull it and and uh, some of your astronomers can develop your own models from the data well, and I want to encourage people to do that because, Gil, that is absolutely fantastic what you've put together. You have an incredible presentation there. And I want to encourage people to like your YouTube channel because there's amazing information. Gil, I wanted you to know that many of my listeners requested you on the program. And I so appreciate your time on the program tonight. Thank you for coming on. And I uh, thank your listeners for uh, for asking that. And thank you for uh for having me on. 
Folks, that was Gil Broussard. You can check his information out there at weekendvigilante.com on the June 15th bio. I really do encourage people to get behind his work. Tremendous work indeed. And please do check out his YouTube channel. It's linked there as well. Folks, we have a fantastic lineup of guests this week. We have Daniel Estelin, one of my favorite guests, stopping by to weigh in on the Bilderberg Cabal that just met over the weekend. That is going to be a tremendous show. We have Patrick Wood coming by the program. And Dr. Timothy Ball, renowned climatologist, is going to weigh in on something stunning that the Pope is doing this week. You'll want to definitely pay attention to that show. It's going to be a fantastic week. If you want to have a guest on the program, just shoot me an email. Let me know their information and how I can contact them. And I will try to bring them on the show. And I thank you for that. Folks, do sign up for MixLR. You can go to MixLR.com, M-I-X-L-R. Or you can go to the App Store and get the MixLR app. And you can listen on any smartphone, Android or iOS software and listen to the program every day. And you can also join us in the chat room every day during the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into the broadcast tonight. Good night and God bless.